Joe Frogan. Huh. Joe Joe Frogert. <laughs> Joe Frogert. <clears throat> uh, are, we, are we recording? Oh, look at this. Uh, yeah. yeah. <sighs> <clears throat> oh, I'm Harland Incredible Quest Grant. <laughs> I'm Ryan Watch Me Can Do McKenna. And this is the Dottler's Philosophy Podcast of Indeterminate Duration. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we need like a, a new song for Indeterminate Durations. You ready to compose? <clears throat> Jeez, I'm ready to like... <clears throat> Decompose. Ha-ha! All right. Yeah, I'll compose something if this ever. Isn't it amazing that we haven't had an episode explicitly about this topic yet, as it is one of my obsessions and something that I assume I've brought up hundreds of times over our 61 illustrious episodes. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely amazing that we haven't drilled down deep into this topic. Which is... Which is what, (laughs) Ryan? No, we need to talk about definitions. In fact, I think if we're going to talk about definitions, that I ought to define my terms. (laughs) So what is the definition of definition? I have a proposal, and I'm going to throw it out there, and you can let me know what you think, if it makes sense, if you have any problems with it. The preliminaries, however, include making explicit that I don't think that the definition you're about to hear is or ought be considered universal, correct in any sense, This and nor is it intended to be lexicographical, lexicographic, that I don't think this is necessarily... I'm not making claims about this is how the word is used in English 2019. Though I think were it to be, things would go more smoothly. This is one of those normative semantics things. Oh, shit, I'm out of here. (laughs) 
Get oh, get back! Oh, well, I don't need you. Get out of here. I'll just talk. This is what I think definition ought to mean. And uh, if everyone used definition this way, if this was the definition of definition, it would be great. I'm ready. Okay. Prepare to edit in some angels singing and some alternative vocal tones. The definition of definition ought to be Paraphrastic replacement function. What? <laughs> I kind of actually, for some reason, I I think I get it. Like just from the, the mm-hmm. that you just threw <laughs> out there. I'm like, I think I understand what that is, which is surprising even to me. I'm like, oh, crap. Paraphrastic. Well, yeah. I mean, that's fancier sounding than it is. It's just that we don't usually turn paraphrase into an adjective or but it works and it's in the dictionary nice (laughs) so it's allowed (laughs) at least it's in the lexicography louise's barking so now i'm going to define all three of those words okay in case to check you think you get it but do you and then this process that we will be evincing here is in my opinion how exchange of questionable words and definitions like how it can hopefully go smoothly okay so paraphrastic that comes from its paraphrase but we're just turning we're just turning a different form of speech by altering its suffix and i think it'll work to just merely define that as a word or set of words basically (laughs) that's like just any little clause phrase any word or chunk of words and then replacement, We, I think most of us can know what that means. I mean by that something like just uh, remove one thing and insert the other. The philosophers, of course, like to make everything Latinate and fancy, so they break up the enterprise of definition into the definiendum, which is the word to be defined, and the definiens, that which you use to define it. So... If we bring in that little meme, that is what is being replaced. You take the definiendum, you pluck it out, you replace it with the definiens. Gotcha. And then function is just a set of instructions for some sort of, parenthetically, linguistic. Most of the time this will be linguistic. Input-output. So that the definition of definition is just, you've got a sentence that has a word in it, that we want defined, we take that, we remove that word from the sentence, we replace it with some other word or words, and proceed thusly to do our linguistic practices. That once that has been accomplished, the word in question has been defined. Yep. Okay. I, you know, just on the face of it, the the dynamic you are describing is not terrible at all to me. I like the movement idea that you know you're just like pulling something out and inserting another thing just say it again just one more time just the whole thing without even doing any definitions of the the words themselves just say the definition of definition my proposed definition of definition is paraphrastic replacement function okay 
Now. You don't expect humans to use this, correct? You want expectation them to use is it. a strange you endeavor. Don't. You don't. <laughs> I would prefer it were they to, but I don't expect anything of them. They elected Trump. What, it, <laughs> what do they do that is not paraphrastic replacement functioning? Well, let me answer that question by referring to a source. The dictionary, which is where most people go when they want to talk about definitions. They will, they will tell you, well, that a, di a dictionary holds a bunch of definitions. You want to know what a word means. Well, you see, that's how we talk. So anyway, the definition of definition in Merriam-Webster right here is a statement of the meaning of a word. And that, in my opinion, and in many philosophers of languages' opinion is not very good. Uh, we don't even necessarily believe in meanings. There's a bunch of debate about what meaning might be. Uh, definition B, entry B, under the word definition in the dictionary, is a statement expressing the essential nature of a thing. And, of course, that's even more metaphysical baggage yeah. that we don't want to use. So... I think that the man on the street in America 2019 typically thinks there are such things as meanings, words possess them, in a closely analogous way to they possess letters. Like, how many letters are in this word? Seven. Okay. Well, what does it mean that these are just traits that a word has? Properties almost? Or yeah, properties of a word. And I don't think that account can be well argued, but probably to go into all the niceties of that can be another episode about philosophy of language or Wittgenstein or whatever. But most people in the philosophy community, I think, in 2019, have gone more Wittgensteinian and think that it's better to look at meaning as the way a certain lexical object, a certain word, is used by a given culture at a given place and time. But even that is a sort of pseudo-generalization universal. And so then if you're a nominalist Wittgensteinian or a general semanticist where every given tokening of a noise is a unique utterance in the universe and yeah, so that you kind of abstract patterns off of the uses and you can get at habits in a culture of how they typically token a word, whatever. I would like to remove the notion of meaning from the institution of definition entirely. And I think that this achieves that. So it, that naturally led me to go, okay, well, what is the, you know, dictionary definition of the word meaning? And of course, what I'm, I'm immediately able to pull up <coughs> editing <coughs> is something that has the word in it kind of already it's that word weird circularity that sometimes happens and this is just me going onto google mm -hmm. and then what you know google's but like many will be familiar with this if you start looking words up in the dictionary you don't know what one of the words in the definition quote unquote means so then you look that one up and after doing it somewhere between two and ten times 
they are referring to each other. Yeah, right. So, they, or they're just already embedded in their own definition. The one thing that I I just pulled up meaning through Google, and it's a definition as a noun is what is meant by a word, text, concept, or action. And I remember learning in like I don't know sixth or seventh grade. It's like you don't add. You know, someone was to ask you to define a word. You don't add a like word that is you yeah. know carrying over or whatever. Like meaning and meant are related. Obviously, I'm looking for the right word to use for that. But whatever. Does anyone know the definition of simultaneous? I was intending to look it up before Lila saved me. Uh, so that doesn't help, and that's just I guess laziness on the part of the lexicographers or whatever the fuck they're called. Um. Yeah, and uh, I mean, a fair amount of philosophical naivete, it appears. Like, I don't know how anyone could produce that after a genuine pseudo-scientific enterprise like lexicography come up with, yeah, meaning is what is meant. Even so, I mean, there is philosophy of language about that. We have this thing called intention-based semantics, and it sounds like they're putting the meaning somewhere it's not in the word but it's in the head of the speaker and then they can somehow download it or upload uh, the meaning that's in their head now they put it in the word and they ship it over to you and then you got to peel off the stamp and rip it open and get the meaning out that that's how it works <clears throat> right so then the, the the second or definition b for the noun is implied or explicit significance that i think is closer to what I would appreciate about someone saying what something means. Oh, really? To me, that sounds like just a totally separate sense of the word, like what is the meaning of life? What is the significance of all of this? They're not asking for a definition under that notion of meaning. But if you're talking about the man on the street kind of thing, quote-unquote, then I think that, that meaning is meaning and there's no alternatives. And that the meaning is the one that, you know, meaning is what you find in church. You know, that meaning. Yeah. And that's the meaning that you find everywhere for the man on the street, right? You men and women on the street, don't be so binary. Anyway, then the next one is important or worthwhile quality, purpose. Like there's some sort of teleological. And that seems also getting closer to what, like a, it's a property of the word that comes with it, just like the letters or whatever, the spelling, which of course can change, but whatever. And then the adjective version is intended to communicate something that is not directly expressed. That's meaning in the adjective sense. And I feel like that's not exactly on par, but that's sort of, for some reason, getting a little bit closer to... This notion of the original definition of definition that you read off. It's, you know, what is meant by the word, you know, the intended expression or the intended communication, as you had talked about, where it's like, whatever it is that someone has in their head, and then they somehow uh, inject that into the word and then send it to you, and then you drink it up like some kind of, like, gusher candy or something. I think that's one of those familiar, intuitive yes. accounts of how language works that mm-hmm. I and many others grew up with. But I don't think that there are good arguments to support it when you start, when you put your philosopher's hat on and you start trying to figure out what's going on around here. Mm-hmm. 
correct. For, um, for at least the reason, among others, uh, look at multiple recent episodes. I don't think that there are minds or that or consciousness or whatever, or these little Cartesian egos up in the head somewhere that have access to meanings and platonic forms and essences and uh, clear and distinct ideas and all of these enlightenment mistakes that we can now transcend. Stephen Pinker. (laughs) So, this is meant to be an alternative that can give you everything you want... It's close enough to the usage of my culture that if you interpret people as meaning this by Uh what they say, (laughs) see, it's embedded in my English that I use that turn of phrase, even though that's exactly what I was just saying. I don't think is philosophically supportable, but that's how I've been conditioned to talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was I saying? (laughs) But you (laughs) self monitoring. This, one this can give you everything you want, but it doesn't bring in unsupportable philosophical baggage, is the, the hope. Yeah. Agreed. And I think it works much better with any of the th- three, two and a half general paradigms that I think are the most respectable in 2019. Basic, like, physicalism slash materialism stuff some sort of information-based computational functionalism or uh, some kind of strange, woo-woo, white-headian philosophy of organism, which I'll defend in a future episode. Nice. But I think this one works better with matter and computers, both of which we like right now. Yeah, well, they they do a lot for us. You know, they they hold the roof over our head and... Help us uh, entertain ourselves endlessly with with our screens. And communicate these little episodes. That's how we come to you, <laughs> dear listener. Or maybe, I mean, that's what I'm saying is, that's the story that we tell right now of how we come to you that seems to work the best. Yep. I was accused of being too scientistic in the Frankish episode, so now I have to sound a little bit postmodern. In this one to balance it out. I see. I, I, <laughs> I think there's some things definitely to grab from postmodernism, but I don't think you need to worry about that. So, given my definition of definition as it stands right now, it's total anarchy. Anything goes. You can pluck a word out and replace it with another word or words, and it counts. So, I think we need to bring with it, though not put it directly in the definition itself. But we it would benefit from an accompanying account of value or virtue or applicability or rightness or better and worse. Okay. Some kind of gradient. Okay. So what I think makes for a quote-unquote good definition is as follows. Here comes some more... Uh, you know, words. Words, 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 words. Words are evil. <laughs> Approximate, apparent, relevant behavioral isomorphism is what would arise from a quote-unquote good definitional replacement function. 
So, meaning, when the receiver of the message requests a Harlandonian definition for one of the words in the message, we can do a periphrastic replacement function on that word. We can pluck it out, replace it with some other words. Then we can do our empiricism. We can test whether that receiver's behavior subsequent to the replacement function is approximately, to the best of our ability, in relevant respects, similar to what we thought they would do if they quote-unquote understood us. Uh-huh. So that, like, we can bring in a little bit of empiricism here, and that's how we determine what a good definition is. Uh, and one of the basic ways that that can work is that you just have two people, you're going back and forth, having a conversation, and one of them's like, uh, what does isomorphism mean? What's the definition of that? I don't know what that is. And then the other person says, oh, similarity of structure. And that's the paraphrastic placement function. They take isomorphism out and they say, okay, so a good definition is one that has a similarity of behavioral structure. Oh, okay, I get it. And then the other one, and they can bounce it back and forth and say more sentences until the two people in the conversation are convinced enough that, okay, I guess they now know the, me- know the definition, know the meaning of the word. Yeah, that all sounds great to me. That's a big yep for me. <laughs> um, what, do, what did come to mind at one point was that, yeah, it's anarchy or whatever, but there can be, I don't know, freedom in anarchy, you know, and uh, there can also be room to really explore and you're not as constrained, perhaps, by culture or you know, whatever the norms are that you're conditioned under. And uh, that's kind of nice. Freeing, you know, it's kind of a weight off your shoulders or whatever. But, you know, sometimes it's also nice, though, and I don't think you would disagree with this, but to have access to something that connects back with people. Like, so what if you were to give a definition of isomorphism and I responded like you were speaking a different language and it was, you were like, oh, like, what would you do then? You know, if my response was not as amenable as the example you just gave of like, you know, the pretend one or whatever. I would attempt to construct a new paraphrase that I hoped would result in the behavioral similarity that my first definition attempt was lacking. So I'd make attempt one, and it doesn't appear successful at all. You say, that doesn't help. It's like you're speaking Swahili. I don't know what that means either. So then I'd say, okay, well, let me try again. And I go back to the drawing board and make a new little poem and put that in and say, okay, well, does this help? And if not, if that failed, you know, perhaps three times, then we'd have to try some kind of alternative strategy where I'd say, all right, well, what do you think? Or, you know, maybe throw it to them. You take a shot at it, and I'll tell you if I think it's right or not. Well, I'll tell you what isomorphism is. I don't even know the language. Yeah. Oh, well, literally, if you have two people that... I guess one person would just have to accept your definition if they had no clue, but if they were clever enough, they might be like, I don't see how this similar structure works with your, you know, whatever else you were saying, you know, maybe that's where the, the disconnect is. 
the my heroes tend to be um, evolutionary biology people, paleontologists, etc. And one of one of my little heroes, Niles Eldridge, said about Stephen Jay Gould, who was a very prolific writer, that one of the things that Gould said about writing for the quote unquote man on the street is that he never changed the content. He just changed the vocabulary. So a word like isomorphism, he wouldn't use. He would use something else. And in a weird way, it's almost like he was doing the reverse of what you're saying instead of a, well, I mean, he kind of, he was kind of doing a paraphrastic, you know, uh, replacement function there, but he was definitely using a word. He at least was confident other people, quote unquote, men, women on the street would be familiar with. So then he would just use that instead right. in his writings or whatever to get people on board with what it was he was trying to, you know, whatever tales he was trying to tell. And that's a, uh, I don't know what to call it, an authorial strategy that one can implement and it makes sense. And it's sort of just like, I'm going to jump the gun, take my best guess as to where my audience would request definitions and just run the replacement before they even get... Right, yeah, that's, I think, what it is. is I'll do your homework for you so you don't have to go look things up. Yeah. And that can have advantages, can make you more likely to be popular, among other things. (laughs) One reason why I wouldn't prefer that strategy is it seems in danger of a drastic amount of what I call connotative pollution. Oh, yeah. If you're purposefully using idiomatic language, Mm -hmm. then you're just asking for people to misunderstand the general message because all the different readers will think they know what you intended to say. They'll think they got the message because they know all the words. But many of them have different behavioral structures arranged around those linguistic objects. And so everybody will buy your book and they'll all review it positively. And maybe three people take away significantly different behaviors after reading it. And I don't like that. So I would rather use a term of art, a jargon word, and then provide an explicit definition if I think that they're going to need it. Yeah. And I would understand, you know, and I'm understanding what you're saying because you know, a word in one place using the same language, say, or not, can have a different, you know, uh, meaning to people in a different, say, country or something like that. Um, usually this is, this hinges, this issue hinges on like taboo or whatever, or derogatory words or something like that. Um so, like, uh, if I was to use the word bloody in English, you know, um, in America, I think it has a different uh, sense of it in in Britain or whatever. Um, or they use it, you know, differently. And I would say that I'm guessing that most people, if given the opportunity to really sit down and think about, I don't know, most people, a lot of people... <laughs> would be able to understand what you're saying. And I'm just thinking in terms of, well, if we were to push this to the extremes, where it's like, it is like you're speaking a different language. What isomorphism, your definition, this doesn't, you know, compute. I can't concatenate 
your shit onto what you said earlier about approximate apparent blah blah you know mm-hmm. like you know what i mean like it in the extreme case does a strategy like gould's work where you're like i think i know what word will help you you know now when you're writing for the public and you've got a vast audience that's listening or something or reading or whatever then it may actually you know they may have to have themselves familiarity with all the various ways a word might be used or something um otherwise confusion could abound right and mm-hmm. they might have to play their own little occam's razor in their head about well he probably doesn't mean that because i have information that this person's from this country and they wouldn't know and all you know what i mean like so yeah what i hear when you talk about that is what quine famously called radical translation and when you're playing that game, you, I think, need to just use non-linguistic arbiters. And you just need to start pointing and gesticulating and ostensively defining things. And let me show you because I cannot say, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but that also could be difficult. Mm-hmm. Because if something that you're talking about does not actually have a similar structure in, like, your physical realm or whatever around you. Apparently. Not a, you know, I can't talk about actuality. I'm a skeptic. Whatever. But, you know, pretend <laughs> you're trying hard and you're trying to communicate to Knox to sit and to lay down and do all these things. Um, you know, you might need to be able to access something that he's never seen before, but maybe there's also nothing else he's seen that's similar. And yes, Knox is a dog and he's a brilliant dog, aren't you, Knox? There are... Other things that we want to do with language sometimes. So I also want to stress and get on the recording. Mm. So it's on the record that this definitional definition Mm. is restricted to those human interaction situations where what they're trying to do is communicate in at least some sense of attempting to coordinate their behavior and their energy expenditures. As long as they're doing that, if they're communicating with the purpose of coordination, mm-hmm. I think this is what definition should mean. But we also write poems and tell jokes and make exclamations, and all, there's lots of other uses of what we call words. And I wouldn't want to fascistically decree that this is how language has to work all the time or the only definition of definition whatever but if we're attempting to communicate and reach some sort of understanding and work together to make progress on projects then this is the one we were going to want to use so what if and i'm just throwing shit at you at this point so don't get if you want to throw your beer can at me <laughs> <laughs> My hackles are raised. Do it. (laughs) What if instead, or what's your problem with this? Saying, you say you're writing and you say, most people think this word means this or this, you know, or something like that. Um, But this is what I am trying to, you know, communicate using this word. And here's why. And then you, you you have your paraphrastic, you know, paraphrastic. Is it phrastic or phrasic? 
I believe there's a T in it. God damn, I hope so. After it's been recorded this many times. Well, we just say paraphrasic and paraphrastic and paraphrasic and paraphrastic, and now everyone's confused. But Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> Delete the episode. Words are evil. But, like, you know, um, you, know you just insert your paraphrasic, frastic replacement function in there, and then you tell them why. You, you're like, I like this. Because I do that when I write. Because I think that, you know, people are lazy, like in the dictionary. And we use these kind of lazy bones way of going about communicating. Um, but I do think even at the professional level, at an academic level, that, that does lead to confusion. Like, for instance, has anyone ever really come up with a definition of species you know this is in my area of you know but it's a big area of contention whether or not you even yeah you you could be a species nominalist or whatever but you can still say well what's your definition or what's your how would you go about telling me more about this word that you're using and what it apparently represents in the world or something like that um but then how often is the word species used even in the academic literature often you know, and so uh, sometimes when you're really trying to make headway in a particular area, you might want to have new, like, yeah, this is what these people think, and this is what those people think. But here's my paraphrasic, drastic replacement function, and here's why. You do you want, in addition to definitions, potentially? you know, even a mini argument or some points you want to make as to why you think that is, or. I'm assuming there's a bunch of questions in here. To answer the last one first, I think there can be arguments supporting one replacement over another. This replacement, and that's why I wanted to include this value gradient criterion in there, Mm. or set of criteria in there, so that we could say, well, this one is preferable, and because it leads to a greater, when it is used, it leads to swifter, tighter behavioral isomorphisms than we achieve with this alternative definition. Or if it's something like the word species, perhaps one person could argue, well, my definition is preferable because it appears in nature and yours does not. And you could have a sort of ontological argument in favor of one over another. Mm-hmm. another a tool that is more often used in philosophy than daily life and maybe more than in science, I don't know, but it, something that's useful is to put people's names as adjectives in front of words. Oh, well, this is what Oh yeah. it means to... John Locke, and this is what it means to Descartes, and this is what it means to Kant, so that you you say, well, oh yeah, this is, well, Kant's reason is blah, 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 but Locke's reason is this, what the words mean to individuals. Right, right, no, I I have a weird emotional response to that, because if it's used, like, on me, then I'm all like, you know, fuck you, Don't, don't try and separate yourself from me, you're in here with me. It's not a Ryan Donian or whatever, Harlan no, Donian. But yeah, no, your emotions are wrong again. <laughs> You're the only one in there. You're the only one constructing your sentences. I'm not in there with you. Oh, yes, I am you out here nope, receiving your nope, sentences. You've got it. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. 
another problematic that I've noticed with our hyper-specialized society, hmm. which hopefully has gone over the hill and we're going back towards tying things back together. But <laughs> the more specialization there is, the more it could easily be that individuals in one profession use a word in a given way and individuals in another use it a different way. And this also has come up recently because we've done episodes about the word consciousness. And consciousness means something very different to a philosopher of mind and to a Jungian psychoanalyst. Hmm. For example, among, I'm sure, many others. Uh, And probably means something different to a Buddhist meditator. Or a doctor. Or a medical professional, yeah. where it just means awake yeah. and aware or something. <laughs> awake, you know, or a, not dead. Functioning. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I think we ought to avoid. I think, is that homophone when you ha- it has the same noise, but it means very different things, like bank and bank? Well, consciousness is kind of like that, too. Yeah. But the English it's language not as, has got problems with that. Yeah, and time. well, right. And we ought, when we're doing our academic, when we're trying to communicate and understand right, each right, other, yeah, yeah. we don't like that. That's not good. Well, so it's I think not even, we should, I have a son who's learning two languages at the same time. One of them's English, obviously. And I'm having every day to be like, oh, that's not the, you know, there or what, you know, whatever the word is that can have a, you know, even the same spelling, like you just said, bank and bank. That's frustrating because the kid needs to like, you know, get this done, you know, and understand Mm -hmm. and move forward. But there are all these roadblocks with the English language, even for kids learning it. They just have to memorize, which is probably not very efficient. Right. I don't think, yeah, just rote memorization doesn't seem as efficient as whatever the heck understanding or speaking a language means. Mm Mm-hmm which might come down to something like taking advantage of some sort of Chomsky-esque inborn neural habit or whatever. Can I just say something? I'm so sorry. I'm going to inter- inter- This is like a little Ryan's family time interruption, which happens more and more these days, I've noticed. And even I'm interrupting now. So my son has this little Nintendo Switch. And you can, you know, download apps or whatever, just like anything. And you can do a search in YouTube or whatever it is. And he's, he learns Japanese. That's his kind of, he's in an immersion program. Anyway. uh, And I went to go search something. And he's searching in Japanese. Not in English or whatever. Letters or Arabic or whatever. And I'm like, I wonder if that's because that makes more sense to him because the English language sucks that much. And there are all these problems that he's constantly encountering. And maybe just Japanese make is, you know, they don't fuck things up. Although they do have like multiple written languages that he has to learn, but whatever. So you're saying literally he goes to a search box and he has some desired outcome in mind and he could type in in English or in Japanese and he chooses Japanese. Japanese, yes. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Because most people in his environment, if he's not at the immersion school because he lives in America, 
he's getting more English than Japanese, even though he's getting both. Right. But so to choose Japanese is interesting. Yeah, right? I think that's interesting for sure. Anyway, just an anecdote thought I'd throw in there, since we're on the general. So he, yeah, he must appreciate that the computer, the Switch, can understand both. Yeah. Because most of us, he must know, don't. Because I haven't heard him speak Japanese to me. Because he probably knows, or right? That yeah, he wouldn't. That wouldn't work. No, not at all. And but so far in his little reading assignments, he gets them every time. You know, so far as I can tell, which is and his message is consistent. Every time he reads something, he tells us what it means, or you know, he tells us what it says. And it's kind of the, it's the same thing every single time. And I figure that must mean that he has a, a some level of understanding of it, like a sponge. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, that was some eye contact between my wife and I when we when I was like I pulled up the search thing to look something up on it, and I was like, Jesus, going to be smarter than us. We'll us. never be able to tell what he was looking up. Oh, that's why he's hiding his searches from his parents. Yeah, if only. He doesn't know how to clear a browser history. Yeah, he knows no, how to type not, his searches in smart, Japanese. But he's not that smart. <laughs> and besides, you know, in an app like YouTube, everything pops up anyway, what you've been searching. And it's so usually just typical boy things, you know, video games, grokking. Anyway, that's enough of a sidebar. I just thought I'd mention it because I, you know, we're complaining about English and definitions and your desire for at least when we're doing the actual hard intellectual work we should be specific i think people should be open to that but people just rarely do provide definitions of things it seems they just they want to just move along you know they just yeah ah you know everybody knows what species is you know even though it's like critical to their work or whatever (laughs) i I don't like that no but i think that's definitely the case people Mm -hmm. are you know it's a it's this way of like i don't know it's this sort of probabilistic thing where it's it's definitely in science at least i think it's you know it, it, it's bleeding over from statistics where you can always say well i knew i'd be wrong somewhat you know or whatever you can always say well i i told you ahead of time or if somebody's like you mean this that you can be like yeah you know it's like um heisenberg's uncertainty principle you know you can look at the speed or you can look at the position but you can't look at both you know that kind of thing so in the meantime it's this big fuzzy thing whatever the electrons are doing or however it is and uh that's kind of what it seems to me like and i mean seems as in it appears to me (laughs) jesus christ that's how it appears to me is that the words that are used that are important even in an academic setting are fuzzy like an electron cloud or whatever where you then once you focus on it you can really only get so much information and that person can then be like yeah yeah you know yeah that's what i meant you know the genetic version of species. Or whatever. Yeah, I'm not saying that's what they do, but I'm, in general, it's like they're allowing themselves that opportunity, not closing themselves off because, I don't know, they got reputations to, to, to manage or something. Would you say that 
Okay, your point is just that's how it currently appears to operate much of the time. Not that that's a necessary well, I mean, it, uncertainty thing about the way language You've got works. the normal conditioning that you get when you're growing up, right? And then you've got this additional conditioning of your particular field and it being also science and the journals that you send to. Every journal has its own set of rules. And so you're always trying to stay within somebody's preference set. And then, you know, whatever that is, it could be the collective's, pres- you know, preference set, and everybody just sort of adopts it. And so in this journal, I don't say what a species is, but in this one, they're sticklers. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, there's no universal across the board. Everybody just communicates cleanly because we all more or less play by the same relatively making sense rules or whatever. Rules that make sense. Anyway. Relying on... Culture. One's audience to have pre-installed a an accurate dictionary, one that corresponds to yours, is of course a labor-saving activity, but it doesn't bode well for understanding. I think that's why some progress. people say that often they're like, "Oh yes, I wrote this book, and for like the ten people who would care or mm-hmm. whatever," right? Because you ten people have a tendency to find each other at conferences or whatever the fuck it is. You all care about the same thing, you know? And then, you know, it's like you're writing for each other or whatever. And so nobody else knows what the fuck you're talking about. But, you know, you 10 do or whatever, or 11 people. Turn it up to 11. The other thing that I wanted to I throw so into this episode. <laughs> you can talk, I don't care. Is uh, to just expand a bit on the computer metaphor. Okay. Because I used to write computer code and know a tiny bit about how that works. And, and computers are also exemplary collaborators. And they've got all these protocols and all these codes and... They know what each other are talking about, and as long as you play by the rules, you're going to get the same output, given your input into one of the systems. They score really highly on all of those things that I think would benefit academics, Mm -hmm. scientists, philosophers, etc., were they to define things in this way. So when a computer is reading, is uh, compiling, or reading along some code and trying to decide what outputs to give, it encounters a symbol... And then it goes to the the code base and looks at, well, where's the, you know, DEF addition module? You know, where is add defined? And what parameters do I stick into that function? And I'm going to call that up and then I'm going to look at what the code is and run it line by line and then do that and here comes my output. I like computers for doing that. I think that is useful and I wish humans were a little bit more like that when they were trying to make arguments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've gone through why, you know, what the argument argument is and why I think we ought to care about arguments. But if you're going to have effective arguments, then we probably want to be more like computers in the respect that anyone who's given the code of a, of a particular argument can run that code and have the same and understand it and give right. reliable outputs, given the inputs. Mm-hmm. And so that these paraphrasic, whatever the right <laughs> word is here, 
Now I'm paranoid. Paraspastic. Replacement functions are, that's like defs in computer code. Mm -hmm. It's like definition statements. So that when you are reading through a premise of an argument, anything where there even might be an open question about what they mean by this, species, consciousness, etc., you can go to the glossary, check it out, see what they mean in other words, and though it's impractical, I think my sort of instrumentalist, verificationist idealism would want everything to eventually boil down to just operations that I can go perform out in the world, that, and we leave semantics and symbolism entire. well, if that's possible. We leave English, and we go to physical manipulations, you know, ultimately, but no one's ever going to be capable of or bother to boil it down that far. But that would be, in my opinion a laudable goal that every word in your argument would be defined and defined and defined by words and by other words and by other words until you eventually get to something non-word like (laughs) (laughs) which in the computer metaphor i suppose would be going from source code to machine code to electrons moving around inside the computer eventually is some non-symbolic physical, if the universe is physical, alteration of the environment. We used to make, that we had this one professor who, uh, when I was was going to school, and this one professor, and he was very, uh, he, he was obviously just, I don't know what the right descriptor words are for him, but he wasn't, loosey-goosey and casual and colloquial he was incredibly specific about everything he said and he was an engineer and he was well dressed and his office was in super great shape and all that kind of stuff and he we one one of the uh shit one of the students joked that when he would call his kids he would like speak through the phone in like dial tone like you know think like the harlan grant family you know just like you're calling home <laughs> like if only yeah exactly your kids are <laughs> oh, good stuff <laughs> nerd nerdy 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 anyway what's your definition of nerd mm. <laughs> let me find a you need to look up nerd in the dictionary. You'll see a picture here. of Harlan. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there we go. We de- definition has been defined once and for all. And all the words in the definition of definition have been defined. Mm. Deal with it. I do have one last little thing. But okay. I don't know if it has anything to do with anything. I'm sure it doesn't. We did want to know what isomorphism was. We talked about structural similarity. If I drew a picture of you, would that be isomorphic enough for you? And then was like, see, this is this is Harland, and then it would be this weird loop. Uh, I don't know if this directly addresses the question, but the first thing I want to say is the structural similarity is what makes it, quote-unquote, a picture of me. 
without structural similarity, it is not. But then, you know, and now we can play the aesthetics game and say, well, it is if the artist says it is. Or the the alien who watched the construction of that painting saw you sitting, sitting there immobile and posing while the other person looked at you and then made some marks. Uh, the fact that a subsequent audience can't notice any similarity between them doesn't make it not a bit, whatever. But I don't know. I lean toward, I think there's a lot of virtues in the basic claim. That's what makes something a picture of something, that they're similar in some respect. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were asking, really? Or? Well, I was just kind of trying to say, like, you know, could you screw around with it? Could you mess with the rules a little bit by doing that but it sounds like you just play into the rules hands or whatever instead and i don't know if this is i don't if the point is trying to find a counterexample or something that would fail because it's not paraphrasic right it's not a word or words it's a picture so that it wouldn't count as a definition yeah no isomorphic or not because it's not words correct okay I'm not sure if I'm even addressing what you want me to, though. I'd probably just get stuck in the physicalism or something of it all. Whatever. Has this been... Everything reduces to physics, you know. Wink. What was this? Oh, 53 minutes. Are we stopping? Is this still on? (laughs) 